Kylie Dutson, a neurodiverse 30-something who is obsessed with organisational psychology and welcome to Lightbulb Moments, the podcast about all things psychology. Hi everyone, welcome to the conversation today. I'm joined by Nahid and we are talking about diversity and inclusion. Nahid, tell us about yourself. Hi, my name is Nahid Nazir. Um, I'm an EDI specialist, working, been working in the EDI field for, oh God, well over 20 years now. And currently I am working at Manchester Metropolitan University as their director of EDI. In this episode. And everybody was like, <gasps> what? Like an audible inhale of breath. Yeah, absolutely. I want there to be representation. I want there to be visibility. People who look like me in different positions, you know, in different areas everywhere. So then my daughters have got something to look up to as well. But what are you really doing? It's like, why? Why? Right. Why? Why? It's not why. Is it to take a box? Absolutely. Hello, Nahid. Welcome to my Lightbulb Moments podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me. Excellent. I'm very excited today. We are going to be talking about diversity and inclusion, which I feel like are two huge topics and we could spend a, like a, a, like we'd have two separate conversations about each one of them that could last days, potentially. Potentially. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I will try and uh, rein it in, in terms of my inquisitive nature and questions. Um, I guess for people listening, you know, I have a tendency to squirrel. So if I do say squirrel, it just means that I have had a thought that has taken me off on a tangent. We'll roll with it. And then at some point, we'll circle back around to what we should be talking about. (laughs) There's nothing new. (laughs) There's nothing new. There's so many squirrels in our lives. (laughs) So we're talking about diversity and inclusion today. Why is this the thing that, that you have a passion about? Why is this your thing? Oh, I think this became my thing quite early on when I was studying at university. Um, and I think it goes back to, um, again, people going against the norm. And what is the norm, really? I can still remember, it's my first lecture on race and racism. Um, and the tutor who stood in front of the lecture theatre, um, I can still remember what she was wearing. She was, it, was, it was a brown suede jacket with the miniskirt, black tights and, and boots. I can remember it really vividly. And she stood there and she said, yeah, you probably heard loads of rumours um, that there's a gay lecturer. Um, and guess what? It's me. And everybody was like... <gasps> what? It's like so, an audible inhale yeah, of it breath. Was, it, yeah, absolutely. And there was these two Asian guys who sat behind me um, who were on our course. They got up and left because she was a Muslim and she was like openly saying that she was a gay and she was a lecturer. She was at university. And we're talking in the 1990s here. Mm-hmm. It was a big thing then. It, it wasn't as it wasn't as normalised, sexual orientation wasn't as normalised as it is today. I know we've still got a long way to go with regards to that. But back then, it was like, oh my God. And I was just like, wow. I was just like in awe. I was like, wow, she's just stood up in front of everyone and said that. I was like, wow. Um, so I think it came from there in terms of that diversity that everyone's different. 
but it's about being accepted and being included and how she felt safe in in terms of where she was, you know, at the university, in that lecture theatre. At that time, she didn't know us, but she felt safe within the people around her that have made her safe, her colleagues, you know, her peers, and the university as a whole, for her to be able to say that. And I was just like, wow. Yeah. And I've since now met her again. Have you? Because she's still teaching at the university. And I couldn't believe it because when I first started in this role, I was like, I wonder if she's still here. And she was. And we went for lunch a couple of weeks back. And it was just so nice. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. I I basically turned and started on this journey because of you. And she was like, Nahid, I'm so proud of you. She goes, but now I'm learning from you. (laughs) (laughs) Tables have turned. So, yeah, I think that that was the first starting point for me. That leads us, um, it it gets me thinking about, like, representation. Yeah. Right, and how much representation matters. Yeah. Is that something, like, what what are your thoughts on that? Representation is a massive thing, and and that is my thing, really, in terms of representation. Um, While I was growing up, I didn't see people who looked like me um, at school, um, at college, university was the first time I saw somebody who looked like me. Um, but even like from my work, um, you know, career as well, th- there's nobody like, like that for me at all. So one of the things for me, visibility is really, really important. Um, and I want... I want there to be representation. I want there to be visibility. People who look like me in different positions, you know, in different areas everywhere. So then my daughters, I've got something to look up to as well. Uh, you know, I've got four daughters um, and I push them, you know, in terms of be what you want to be. It doesn't matter what it is, but as long as you're happy and you're content, you be what you want to be. I think I've got the Spice Girls, to be honest with you, <laughs> at home. Because <laughs> I do have a posh Spice who, who just thinks she, she lives in, um, in in a Barbie world, really. Um, and, you know, I've got I've got one who's, you know, she's really studious, really academic, and she's really into all, really sensible. I've got Sporty, you know, who's into her sports and that's all she wants to do. She's just finished the GCSEs, which she did PE. She wants to do sports at college, at uni. I was like, go for it. That's what you want to do. Totally unconventional, totally unheard of, especially within our community and within our culture. As an Asian Muslim woman, mm. you can't do that. It's not your field. You, you don't, it's, it's not the done thing. But I'm like, do it. That's what you want to do. Go for it. <laughs> Um, and then I've got my youngest, who's just is just a Disney princess um, at heart. So just yeah, re- rewrote the the Spice Girls there yes, in, in, in terms of that. But it's all about girl power. But I want them. I don't want. I want them to have people that they can look up to and have those role models to say, well, yeah, if they can, and so can I. Because I've never had that, and I've always strived to be that role model, not just for my daughters, but for other people as well. Um, you know, to show them that they can do that. Because from a very early age, I was told, you're going to probably be married by the time you're 18. You're best off doing a nursery nurse course, something that will help you set up your home um, and stuff. And, um, yeah, that was a career advisor um, back when I was at school. And I went, I ain't going to do that. I'm going to go to university and I'm going to get a job and I'm going to be working and that's exactly what I've done um and you know and and again really really thankful to my parents 
um, and also to my husband as well, who've, who've supported me all the way in terms of that, because I'm knocked down through a lot of barriers, especially within our community where we, where we lived, a very tight-knit community. First one to go to university, had a lot of members of the community come around to my parents' house saying, have you got your head screwed on? Do you know what you're doing? Don't send her there. Don't send her away to uni, blah, blah, blah. And my, my parents were like, no, education, education, education. And my dad and my mum have always said, as long as you've got your education, that's something that nobody can take away from you, but it's something that you can use at any moment in your life to help further yourself. So my dad goes, I don't care if you don't do anything with it, but as long as you've got it. It feels like there's something about, and I'm going to use your phrase, because um, it makes me giggle, um, that diversity is a, a hot potato <laughs> at the moment. Um, but there's this this intentionality, right? It's not just going to happen. Yeah. When we talk about diversity, we're not just talking about ethnic diversity, are we? We're talking about um, diversity of thought, gender diversity, neurodiversity. Absolutely. How, when we look at organisations now, typically we don't see that diversity, what are the, some of the things that you teach and that you're you're talking to people about to start to create that diversity, particularly at those those higher levels? Because we know that that's where the, the issues are, that's where the gaps are. That's where the gaps are, absolutely. So when we do look at diversity, it's all-encompassing in terms of that. And it is about your intentions. So that's exactly what we've been doing in terms of pulling together a whole programme around intentional about inclusion. So we're looking at, how what are your intentions around embedding inclusion within your organization and it's when you start looking at that from that perspective it becomes more proactive and so so it becomes more about doing something rather than just talking about something for too long organizations and you know senior people with organizations like to talk about diversity and inclusion because it's a hot potato and it seen it's, it seems to be like you know the right thing to do when you look at the moral and ethical and legal cases around it it's the right thing to be seen to be doing but what are you really doing it's like why why right why, why? it's not why it's is not, it to take a box absolutely absolutely so looking at the whole intentional by inclusion it takes it that one step further away from just ticking the box. It's about you looking at yourself. And I think that's where you've got to start with this as well. It's about looking at yourself, holding a mirror up to yourself around your own self-awareness. How are you coming across to people? How do people perceive you? And how do people receive you mm-hmm. as well? Which is really important. Until you don't look at that, you can't then... You move on to, to move on to, to the next stage of that, yeah. but it's about you being aware of yourself in the first instance. How do you respond when organisations or individuals in organisations say, "But we don't have anyone that's Asian that applies for this job, so how am I supposed to be diverse?" Or I don't have anyone that's neurodiverse, or I don't have anyone that's disabled that applies for this job, so it's not my fault that we're not diverse like how what what's your response to that because that's something that I hear not frequently but it's an it's an easy out sometimes for for me I don't think that's an easy out at all um so for me it's like 
Okay, you're not you're not getting those people. So why are you not getting those people applying? Where are you recruiting? Where are you putting the adverts out to people? How accessible are they? But also, what is your organization's footprint? So how are people perceiving your organization? So <clears throat> these days, everybody Googles an organization before they're going to apply for a job there. You know, what is what what is what is that telling them? What is that showing people? So all the information that you've got in there, how inclusive are you? You know, by if people if I was to look at your website today and say, right, okay, I'm gonna go and work, you know, virgin money, yeah, in terms of that, I'm gonna be looking for, okay, what's the EDI policy? what's the data? How many people have they got in the organisation? You know, what the senior team look like? Is there somebody who looks like me? Have I got something to aspire to? You know, have I got a seat at that table? Not now, but maybe five years down the line, 10 years down the line. And if if I haven't, what, what is the strategy? Is there a plan in place to enable me to get there? So how are they going to develop me to, to enable me to get there as well? And these are some of the questions that I usually ask. You know, of those senior managers, so I do a lot of you know coaching as well at senior level with execs around EDI, and I, I do ask them the question: Is that are you a ladders down or a ladders up? Okay, tell me more. Person, so ladders down or ladders up? Person is you've made it. You know, CEO of a, of an organisation or an executive member of an organisation. Are you leaving your ladder down to help people climb that ladder and get a seat at, at the table as well? Or have you taken your ladder with you? Mm. And just saying, well, I've made it, don't care about anybody else. So how are you developing other people within your organisation? How are people learning from your experiences and how can you guide them, whether that's through coaching, whether that's through mentoring, whether that's through development programs within the organisation? How are you doing that? So where is your strategy? Where are your plans around that? And a lot of time I do ask people, you know, where's my seat at this table? And if it doesn't exist, how do I get there? And then somebody said to me as well, well, actually, Nahid, why would you want to seat at that table if one doesn't exist for you? What if, it, what if it's not the right table for you? And that's all right. Okay, I need to think about that and reflect on that because we're always obsessed about having a seat at the table. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it goes back to a bit like go to locks and three bears. You know, this seat's not right for me. It's too hard. <laughs> it's too soft. So, where is the right seat and is it the right table? And I, I think love the idea of taking that Goldilocks fairy tale and making it more current where she actually just goes and builds her own build right. your own table yeah yeah interesting okay and the, the whole letters up letters down thing it seems like such a simple concept but as soon as you say that to me I start reflecting on well what are all the behaviors that are linked to that and which ones do I do and which ones don't I do and so it's a really powerful for me a really powerful imagery yeah. that can help people to even that simple thing are you a letters up or letters down kind of person yeah it's really interesting because it's linked to privileges isn't it <clears throat> and again a lot of people think that you know when you talk as soon as you talk about privilege it's a dirty Ooh. word. Don't talk to me. I have no privilege. I have don't. no privilege. Don't talk to me. I don't. Defense mechanisms go up straight away. Yeah. Oh, you're calling out the white man again. No, it's not about that. Privileges to me are his absence of experience. Yeah. 
some people have got I've got the experience, but some people lack that absence of experience. How are you going to share that with the people? You know, I, I, I talked to, um, to one of my my chief execs previously as well, and talked to him about privileges, and he was like totally oblivious to it, and he was like, no, no. Again, in terms of who he is, his stature, his reputation, everything. As soon as he stepped into the room, everybody knew that he was there. His, he had this presence and stuff. And I was like, well, you know, you will drive your car into a car park and there'll be a car parking space already marked out for you. Yeah. Doors already opened up for you. You, you, your, next, your next step is already mapped out, already opened up for you. You've got an option. But what about if you leave that door open for somebody else to walk through as well? You know, there are certain privileges that you have, but others don't. So how can you use your platform to enable and support other people as well and bring them up, yeah. you know, up, up that ladder as well? And again, everybody has privileges. I have privileges, you know. You have privileges. Everybody has privileges, but it's about who's actually recognising them and then say, well, you know what, I'm going to give something back. I'm going to help somebody else as well or guide them or, you know, just have a conversation with them. Um, and, and I think it's it's really important. And I think we need to move away from this, oh, my God, privilege is a dirty word and we, we can't talk about it. We need to own it. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's something really... Um, so I, in terms of privilege, something really hard about it because often you don't even realise you have it. Um, I was used the... Would you like to hear my left-handed cards rant? Need. <laughs> um, so uh, we played a lot of games in our house. Like growing up as a child, we used to play card games. Um, I remember gorgeous Christmases where there was 15, 20 of us in a room, all sat along the floor because there wasn't enough sofa space. Adults, kids, everyone playing together, playing cards. And I'm left-handed. And I always have to... And anyone that's left-handed... People sat now will know if you are left-handed and you are playing cards, you have to do this weird flip thing with cards for them to actually make sense. So you're, are you right-handed? Right-handed, yeah. Okay, you will have no idea. So I'm just going to, I'm flagging now your right-handed privilege <laughs> over us poor lefties. So when you're left-handed, where the, unless there are certain decks where they have it in all four corners, but the majority of decks of cards have the the numbers and the shapes uh, and the suits in the top right and bottom, uh, top left and bottom right hand corner. When you fan them, as someone who's right-handed, you can see them all. When I fan them as someone left-handed, I just get a deck of blanks. (laughs) (laughs) So what you have to do as a lefty is fan, flick upside down and then re-fan just to be able to get to the same like the same level mm. as everyone else in the space. So as a child, I always was like, well, I, it takes me longer to, to figure out what I'm doing because I have to fan and flip and turn and, and faff around. And it's one of those things that I pointed out to my husband um, and he was completely oblivious of his right-handed privilege. Um, and it's one of the things that I talk about now. I actually have a left-handed deck of cards that I bought off the internet. Um, And I will often use it as a a tool when I'm doing anything to do with um, privilege and and diversity, just to say it doesn't always have to be about race. Like it can be about the smallest things like height privilege. Exactly. So, yeah, Yeah. I just would like to flag your right handed privilege right here and now. 
And um, I'm sure the lefties uh, um, that are listening will they're unite. All, yeah, they're, they're, all, they're all clapping now. Um, uh, <laughs> There'll uh, be hundreds of comments like, I'm a lefty, I'm I a have lefty. this problem I'm too. A, but yeah, in, 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 terms, in terms of that, because privilege has just been associated with, with race yes. in particular, but it, it isn't just with, with that one particular characteristic. It exists throughout all the different potential characteristics. Uh, you, you, you mentioned height, you know. I'm the smallest in my family. You know, my daughters are all taller than me. I can never reach the top cupboards. And, you know, they always make fun of me all the time. But again, you know, it's across all different pathetic characteristics. Privilege is not just within one. And and I guess when we translate that into organisations... It's recognising, you know, we'll, we'll take mm. height, for example, if we have someone who's in a, a wheelchair, are we making sure that we make those reasonable adjustments for that person? And I think, um, let's touch on reasonable adjustments, because I think when we talk about this, organisations freak out because they see pound signs. So are there reasonable adjustments that organisations can make that don't cost a, a ridiculous amount of money? Absolutely. Reasonable adjustments are not all about costing money. It's about meeting the needs of that member of staff. You know, whether it's, you know, having, I don't know, you know, the the screens, are, you know, being able to move the screen up and down, you know, having, you know, you know, software that can, you know, read out things. So they don't cost an arm and a leg. Reasonable adjustments is not about knocking down buildings and rebuilding them again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's about having a footstool underneath your desk. Yeah, it's about being able to get up and walk around the office. You know, it's about you know it's 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 the little things that count within that. So it's about making sure that you do actually capture those reasonable adjustments that need to be done, and health and safety checks. A lot of the time, the, the chairs that we get are box standard chairs, aren't they? In yep. terms that everybody uses, and everyone's like, "Oh, my back's killing." Again, it's just a reasonable adjustment to make to just make sure that you, you're using the right equipment that's needed for you, that's supporting you as well. But in terms of, you know, moving forward as well, in terms of where we are now around, you know, people who are neurodivergent, how are we meeting their needs in terms of accessibility, you know, in, in terms of, you know, software that we're using, in terms of um, how we communicate um, you know, just in terms of, you know, doing lectures. I mean, I think, you know, COVID, you know, absolutely, you know, terrible in terms of what happened, you know, with the pandemic, what have you. But it actually, it actually shone a light on a lot of the inequalities that actually do exist. And we all started to operate in a different way, very, very quickly. You know, we, we, we just did that very, very quickly. But we took on board in terms of meeting people's needs. So if we could do it then, why can't we do it now? Yeah. Why couldn't we do it before? Yeah. Something very, very simple. You know, for example, online lectures. You know, and having the notes there and making it more accessible. You know, it, it, it helped a lot of people. So why can't we still utilise some elements of what we did and the changes and the rapid changes that we put in place? Why do we have to go back um, to how things were? Yeah, and we and and we were through COVID. We were in the NHS. Yeah, and I think that such a huge like establishment powerhouse of in terms of an employer, if we could do it, yeah, 
then surely every other organisation should be able to, to do it. Absolutely. You touched on neurodiversity. It just made me think, you probably won't notice, but in this room, um, the the lights can change in terms of brightness. Mm. And they were really bright this morning and I was having a really hard time. And so something as simple as me being able to put them at half level hugely impacts my experience in the space. Yeah. And actually, if I'm here all day, it means that by the time I get home, I don't hit like a sensory overload and maybe I don't have a meltdown when something happens. And so it it is all those knock on effects. I know you talk about bringing your whole self and it's small adjustments like that that really will help me to be able to to kind of survive. Well, more than survive, it helps me to thrive through the day. Right, And there's that difference between the two. Absolutely. And the thing and the important point there is as well is you being able to share that. So in organisations, a lot of people do not share that they have a disability. If you look at you know, um, self-declaration rates around disability, they are very, very low. And that's not <clears throat> in one particular organisation. That's across all organisations. And that's because people don't feel as though they can share. So it's, again, about creating that safe culture. So it's about looking at the culture of your organisation. And, you know, do you do you members of staff feel as though they can share? to make the small adjustments just in terms of lighting that you just referred to then but you know if how would if I was your manager how would I know that if you didn't share that with me yeah and how can we put those in place so you know dialogue communication is key to everything and it's about making sure that you can have a safe community safe dialogue in a safe space as well yeah if it was up to me I would um record these in the dark <laughs> I'd have all the lights <laughs> off. We could sit in pitch black. It would be delightful. It would be like sensory perfection for me. <laughs> um, I just want to touch on inclusion um, before we, we wrap up today. So how does inclusion differ from diversity? Like I said before, diversity is about recognising that people are different. Inclusion is actually being included. And, in, and including them as well. So you can recognise that people are different and people have different needs and then you can just park it or not do anything about it. Inclusion is about including them. It's inclusion is about acting on that. So it's acting on that difference to make people feel more included. So you, you're, actually, you're actually being proactive in changing your the way you work, the way you, you, you operate, your services, to make sure that you're, t- you're paying heed to that diversity. So inclusion is also about belonging and it's about creating that sense of belonging as well, that a whole person, you know, it's all right to be different um, and it's all right to bring your whole self to work. Um, you know, I wear many hats, many, many hats, sometimes too many hats. And, you know, sometimes being able to come into work and not even talk about them is brilliant. Yeah. But then sometimes I just need to go, <laughs> oh my god I can't believe this has happened from you know a, a wife's perspective a mother's perspective a daughter-in-law's perspective a member of the community you know the charity work that you do sometimes you just need to, but again people recognizing that you have all these various different forms of you yeah. all squashed into one <clears throat> so it's about it's about sense of belonging so you can be who you are um, and bring your whole self what's that just as we, we finish up, what's that thing that if I'm in a position of privilege or if I'm in a position of lived experience, what's that one thing that I can do to 
um, help in the diversity and inclusion space with if I've got people around I might not be a leader or I could be a leader is there something that I can do to help support um, the creation of a better diverse and, and inclusive environment just go and have a conversation just talk to people and you don't need to be in a position of authority to you know create that sense of belonging I think it's about just about talking to people and acknowledging them for who they are and you know having taken that conversation one step further not just talking about work but how was your weekend you know how was Disney how was Disney yes exactly (laughs) so yeah having a conversation amazing as always thank you so much for your time um, I might just get you on. We might just become Jenny and Nahid, have a chat about life. Um, Lightbulb moments with Jenny and Nahid. We could be here. We could be here for years. <laughs> we could. We could. Um, thank you so much for your time uh, today. Was as always super insightful. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, that was a really insightful uh, conversation today with Nahid. My lightbulb moment. It feels so simple, but feels so difficult at the same time. Uh, Having the conversation, like continuing the conversation, and then also that follow through. So don't just have the conversation, but then action the conversation. That's it for now. Toodles. Toodles.